few weeks ago, the Bitcoin buying service Swan sent an email to its users, letting them know that its banking partners would begin terminating the accounts of clients that used Bitcoin privacy tools. In this conversation with Jan Pritzker, who's the CTO of Swan, we discuss what led up to this email being sent and what ramifications the whole situation could end up having for the long-term future of privacy on Bitcoin. John Prisker, CTO of Swan. Thank you for chatting with me. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So a couple of weeks ago, you guys stirred up some controversy inadvertently, I think, um, when you sent out an email. And I just want to, actually, before I read the email, how do you describe Swan? Because I know you don't describe it as an exchange. So how do you actually define it? Right. We're not a, we're not an exchange. Uh, I would define Swan as a Bitcoin financial services company. We offer a variety of financial services all kind of under the Bitcoin umbrella. Um, everything from on-ramp to self-custody to institutional, um, and all, a lot of other things that are coming out. There's going to be a press release coming in about probably a couple of days that, that you guys will see as well. Okay. So to, to break it down into like five-year-olds terms, um, an exchange is a company that you can buy crypto from but they also hold that crypto on your behalf as like an end user. That's like Correct. the basic level ex explanation. But Swan, my understanding is different because you can buy the crypto, uh, but Swan does not actually hold the crypto. Swan has partners that hold the crypto if the user wants the crypto. I, sorry for using the term crypto. Yeah, Bitcoin. we only do Bitcoin. <laughs> yes, we only do Bitcoin. My bad. I'm used to speaking <laughs> in generalities. Okay. But this is a Bitcoin specific service. So uh, you can buy the Bitcoin from Swan, but it's held by another third party that, Swan's, that Swan deals with, which is who now? Because you switched. So we have a couple of different. So I actually want to clarify that a little bit. So it's not a third party in the classical sense. Our users have a direct relationship with these parties. So think of them as banks. Uh, they're, kind of, they're, they're trust companies, right? So they function similar to what a bank would do. The difference is a bank can lend its money and so on. A trust company is purely a storage space for your assets, right? So when our users sign up for Swan, what they're doing is they're getting a Swan account. They're also getting an account with one of these custodial partners. They have a direct relationship. They sign a term of use agreement with that custodial partner. If Swan was to go out of business or anything like that, they have a direct relationship with that custodian. So it's a little bit of a misnomer called a third party. I mean, we're all third parties, right? Anytime you have a, a counterparty, but it's not that the user is going to this, you know, custodial partner through Swan. So as an example, when you wire money, you're not wiring it to Swan. You're wiring it to an account in your own name at that financial institution. Uh, so okay. that, that's kind of the idea there, which is a little bit different from an exchange because when you're wiring money to Coinbase, it's going to Coinbase, right? Right. Um, and then, you know, Coinbase does things with it. Uh, whereas, okay. yeah, we have this direct trust company relationship. So I think there's, I hear what you're saying, like from like the, the legal standpoint and from the, the organizational standpoint and operational standpoint, but from the marketing standpoint, Swan is the company that people are coming to deal with, right? So Swan yes. is the face of this whole thing. And when you open an account with Swan, you're also opening an account um, you're, or you're, you're prompted, you're pushed to open an account with this um, custodian. So, and I've used Swan before. I think a lot of people, um, and this is important context for the conversation, I think a lot of people 
think of Swan as an exchange because it's such a seamless process, you know, to purchase the Bitcoin, to have it sit there if you want it, to auto withdraw when you need, you know, but it's, it's, Swan does a good job of marketing this in sort of this all-in-one package where it's really not an all-in-one package. It's these different parts organizationally and operationally, but uh, a lot of people think of it as an exchange for that reason. Uh, do you think yeah, that's fair? I mean, an exchange, I think the, the, you know, an exchange is fundamentally just a matching engine, right? On an exchange, you have two sides, you have buyers and sellers and they're matched by the exchange and they have an order book, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's not what's happening on Swan. On Swan, when you, you know, send money, you're sending it to a financial institution, that is a financial institution that then controls the flow of funds there. Um, so yes, we are essentially an aggregation of a lot of different pieces. One of them is this custodial piece where you're opening an account with one or more custodians, depending on your needs, right? So Today, we work with BitGo, we work with Fortress. Uh, we're in the process of integrating back, which should be coming out very soon. Uh, and then we're also building our own trust company, which should be the fourth of those pieces, right? Fourth uh, option in that stack. And there's many reasons why. Um, some of them support IRA, some of them don't. Um, some of them work in some states, some of them don't. Um, so, you know, basically we have a variety of financial institutions to serve your needs in, in whatever, you know, whatever situation you're, you're in. Um, on top of that, we provide services that are outside of those financial institutions entirely, right? So for example, self-custody or um, some of our loan products that we'll be launching soon under the Swan Institutional Umbrella. Those are things that are happening outside of that flow as well. Uh, so you can think of us as a financial services company that offers you know, a broad range of things. Some of them include custodial accounts for retail users. Some of them are things for institutions. Some of them are not custodial at all. Um, that's kind of just, you know, we, we offer everything under the sun, right? Did you set it up this way for a specific reason? Did you want to be separated from the custody or was it just like the most practical way to build the company you wanted to build at the time? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, we, we came, you know, to the space in 2019, actually before Swan, um, this was called Give Bitcoin. There was a, it was a pre-Swan project, uh, which was intended to gift Bitcoin to people as well as some education. And the concept there was that we would hold the, the user's Bitcoin for a year. Uh, prior to allowing them to sell it, which is the idea is that they have to get orange pilled over the course of that year by receiving educational materials. So essentially like a time lock. And, uh, you know, for the, for the reason that we had to hold it for a year, we had to have a trustworthy institution. Um, you don't really want to send your money to some startup to hold it for a year, right? You want to have a financial institution holding that money. Um, and so that's really the reason we went with that model. Uh, but also because this is the model that is used in traditional finance. You want to separate brokerage and custody. Uh, and the reason that's done is because of things like FBX and Alameda and all the stuff that went down. It's like, you don't want those things in one house. You don't want somebody who is trading the funds to also be, you know, the, the custodian because then all kinds of commingling happens. Um, you know, Kraken just got sued by the SEC. I mean, I don't know like the, the details of it, but that's one of the things that they accuse them of is commingling customer funds with the company funds and so on. Right. Uh, so the idea of this, uh, separation is exactly for that reason is because the customer's funds are in the customer's own financial account. The company's funds are separate from that. And you know what we do as, as a provider of services should not have anything to do with the client's money. Okay. So does, does that setup sort of exempt you as a company from when we hear about Kraken and Coinbase and, and these guys getting subpoenas and re- court orders and requests for information, is that because they're a custodian or is that because something that's more similar to what you're doing where you, cause you're collecting identification, you're collecting KYC, um, compliance data from users. So mm-hmm. 
are you are you less liable in that regard or are you pretty much in the same boat with those exchanges? Well, as far as, you know, government coming to a company asking for records that nobody is exempt from that. There is no exemption from that. Like anybody who has records of any sort is mm-hmm. always under that umbrella, right? Um, the reason we collect these documents is because they are required to open financial accounts. That's, you know, you can thank the, uh, the Patriot Act and the Bank Secrecy Act for all this insanity, uh, which, you know, we, we are strongly opposed to. Uh, but they are required if you are a uh, provider of financial services. So that's what we have to do in order to get our, our users' accounts open at financial institutions. Um, we're not a money transmitter, right? So we don't actually touch the funds in that classical sense. We're not in the flow of funds. They're not wiring funds to Swan. Uh, they're wiring them into their own account at a financial institution. So it is different in terms of the requirements uh, that are put on us. We're not, you know, we're not a money transmitter. So there's certain things we don't have to do. Um, but the financial institutions that our clients are interfacing with do have to do those things. Right. But you can't, you can't freeze funds. If you got a court order that said you have to freeze a million dollars that this user holds, you have no way to do that. They would have to go and, and subpoena the custodian in order to get that done. I mean, we can control the user's interaction with, you know, to some degree we can block the user from interacting with the custodian, but only through our website, they can always like call up the custodian directly and do whatever they want. Right. Okay. So, okay. you know, it's just a soft thing. Yeah. Generally, okay. no, we cannot block the user from accessing their funds. I got you. So the email I referenced before, let's dig into it. So I'll just read the first part. Um, you sent an email that said, and this was without any other announcement. I think that's what caught people off guard. Uh, was this coming out sort of, um, secondhand. But you guys said your banking and custodial partners have made an update that could affect your account, meaning a Swan user's account. Uh, in light of recent proposed ruling from FinCEN regarding Bitcoin mixing, the they, meaning the custodial partners, will no longer service clients who directly interact with Bitcoin mixing services such as Wasabi, Samurai, and similar. Uh, what this means for you, please be advised that depositing directly from, and that's in bold italics, uh, or withdrawing directly to a mixing wallet may result in the termination of your account with our banking and custodial partners. Um, so a few things on that. First of all, this is why I wanted to draw the distinction before between SWAN and the banking and custodial partners, right? They're two separate uh, parts of this setup. And um, what? so first, I guess, what led up to this email being sent out? Like what were the events that, that happened to get you there? Yeah. So we discovered that some people's accounts are being frozen to your point, you know, we're not the ones freezing the accounts. It's going to be the financial institutions. Um, they were freezing these accounts. We started asking them, why are you freezing these accounts? What's going on? We need these unfrozen. Right. And they told us that they're deciding not to, uh, interact. They don't want to interact with mixing services at all. Right. Because it is, you know, there's a guidance. It's, it's not even guidance. It's a proposed rule, right? Um, but but it is something that uh, it's not necessarily new. The new proposed rule is is trying to solidify reporting requirements. But if you go back to like 2020, 2019 is when they started pushing the stuff, talking about unhosted wallets and reporting, you know, transactions and mixing is bad. Like this kind of messaging has been coming from Treasury for a long time. So uh, this last thing is almost like the nail in the coffin. And we kind of tried, you know, we tried to fight this, right? So they came to us and they said. We don't want to deal with this. We feel like it's too much risk. And, you know, let's just be clear. What, what does that mean? Too much risk, right? When a financial institution talks about risk, they are under the risk that, you know, like FinCEN comes to them and, and starts enforcing, uh, you know, levying fines, all this kind of stuff, right? Which is 
probably a result not only of the proposed rule, but also the action against Binance. If you look at what happened there after the Binance action, which essentially said, hey, Binance was not following AML KYC properly, all kinds of stuff broke loose. Like Wallace Satoshi canceled their, uh, their US uh, presence, right? Uh, I think a couple other uh, players in the industry, you know, started making noise. So, you know, this is like, there's no, there's no new law. Okay, let's just be clear. There is no new law. But banks operate on gradient risk and financial institutions operate on gradient risk. Their, their decision point is around if we, if we decide to do like A or B, one of these things might, might lose us our license, might get us regulators, you know, attacking us and so on. Everybody's extremely conservative right now. After that, like 22, 2022 FTX blow up, I mean, the whole industry is on fire. Every regulator, every bank, everybody's reworking their stuff because they're worried about all this enforcement action, right? Uh, and now all these things that are happening with Binance and the proposed rules basically just started spooking everybody. Um, so what we saw happening is that these, these guys are freezing accounts of users that were mixing. From our perspective, there's nothing wrong with mixing. Obviously, it's a privacy preserving technique. Um, I make this analogy that, you know, if I get a paycheck, I'm not going to take that paycheck to the store and show it to the clerk in order to buy a candy bar, right? I'm going to deposit it in a bank. I'm going to get my dollars out. Now, these are basically anonymized, small bits of anonymized cash that I can spend however I want. And that's what happens in normal money. We believe the same things should be done with mixing. And so we had this discussion with these partners, you know, over and over. I mean, you think the email came out of the blue, but obviously it's not out of the blue. It's not like we just decided to do it one day. We were, we were fighting this battle for probably over a month, um, trying to explain to them that nothing is wrong here. These are legitimate users. You know, they're not doing anything nefarious. Um, you know, but banks have reporting requirements. Like they have to report anything that looks suspicious. And this new rule or this new proposed rule, it basically, what they say is extremely toxic. What they're saying is assume all mixing is, is illegal. That's literally what they say. They say, assume that it's all bad and then show us where it's good. Okay. So it's flipping the requirements on these financial institutions. Instead of investigating suspicious cases, they're saying, just assume all mixing is suspicious. And if you have a good reason to believe, you know, mixing is not suspicious, then like state the case, but just assume it's suspicious. And I think this, um, direction again, even though it's not actually set in stone yet, has flipped the narrative for these institutions to start thinking, okay, well, like, why should we stick our necks out for people when, you know, the treasury is telling us everything should be considered suspicious. And so they started freezing these accounts. We had this battle with them. We got the accounts and frozen, you know, um, but they basically told us, hey, like, we don't want to see funds going directly into mixers, which is what we told our users. We were laying, um, you know, the information we're getting from these financial institutions directly to, uh, to our clients. And by the way, this affected a tiny, like, I know Bitcoin Twitter is like, everybody's mixing, everybody's privacy. I'll tell you the reality of the situation is this is not, you know, this is not a large percentage of users. It should be, in my opinion, like everybody should be mixing, um, but they're not. Uh, so this affected a tiny minority of users. We did feel like it was something we should want to state publicly because um, I think people should know that this is a problem and that we're fighting it and that we want the whole industry to fight it. Is that, was that part of the, the coal mine? Yeah. Was that part of the conversation that this is a, a tiny subset of users we can almost afford to lose? Um, so it's not worth, um, going the extra mile for it? Like, or, or was it more like, no, absolutely not. Absolutely okay. not. I mean, we didn't have to make this noise. I mean, it's like, like a fraction of a percent of users, you know, that were affected by this. We, we didn't have to make any of this noise on Twitter. Mm -hmm. The reason we made this noise was because we want the industry to be aware this is happening. It's, it's a really big deal. Um, right. And I think that, well, in fairness, you, you didn't know, make the noise, right? Yeah. Like the noise was made and then you guys had to kind of 
chime well, in. We sent an email. Yeah, you sent an email. And we had a whole we had a whole thread on Twitter. I mean, did you see my thread? It's not yes. like a, yeah, I want to talk about forcing that. Forcing me to write these threads. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, um we fought this for a long time. We're continuing to fight it. We're continuing to work with these institutions to, you know, to basically massage their policy and show them that Bitcoin mixing is not bad. And actually we're getting some buyer. Um but it's a gradient of risk, right? I mean, the, the, like, as I was saying in my thread, and we can maybe touch on that, but the number of financial institutions that are serving the space, you can count it on one hand. I mean, this is like extremely centralized, extremely few people, few banks, few uh, custodians, like there's not a lot of them. So um, it doesn't take a lot to have this whole industry spooked and basically say, okay, and we're not going to touch anything, you know, related, related to mixing. And I think it's happened. And yeah, so we are continuing to fight it. I mean, we don't really have a horse in the race, like, our business will be fine. If we have to block mixing entirely, our business will be fine, right? So, but we're going out of our way to fight this. I'm writing these Twitter threads. I'm spurring, you know, the action against consent because I firmly believe that this is the right thing to do. Like I'm from the Soviet Union where there was actual true capital controls. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that here. Yeah, like that's that's why I'm here and that's why I'm fighting this stuff. Uh, it's not impacting our business materially one way or another. Okay, I, I guess this all ties into, I think what what the, pushback or some of the criticism has been, right? Which is that um, it appears that you guys have sort of chosen that that route where it's like, we'll push this as hard as we can without sacrificing our business or our profit, right? We don't, we have a business to run here. So we're not going to shut down because, you know, privacy gets impacted. We're going to push this as far as we can. I think a lot of people almost see that as just trying to, to, um, cover cover your ass a little bit you know it's like we're gonna we're gonna fight as much as we can without losing it all um do you think that that's I mean, fair not, criticism i'm not gonna go to jail I'm, i have a family i'm not gonna go to jail for breaking the law in the u.s and that's what you mean no i'm not gonna do that but i'm gonna fight it as hard as i can up to that point i'm gonna use my free speech rights as long as i have them absolutely i mean it, you know chris let me just say something that might not be obvious to people uh-huh. bitcoin twitter is not real life it's not the community that we serve we serve boomers that are wiring millions of dollars, buying Bitcoin for their kids into trust accounts. Like they're not on Bitcoin Twitter. They don't that. care about the privacy stuff. We're educating them about privacy. We're writing articles telling them that privacy is important. We're putting out information that people should be using Samurai. We're putting the stuff out there. Nobody's asking us for it. You know, our clients are not asking us for it. So I think people have a completely mistaken understanding, like going to Twitter and saying, you know, Swan's bending a knee or, or whatever. Like, we are an American company. We have to follow American law. We are beholden to the whims of financial institutions in America. That's the reality. The only way we change that is we get a lot of Bitcoin in people's hands. We get Bitcoiners in positions of power at all these institutions, and we grow big enough to to be able to to fight that fight. Uh, there's nobody requiring us to fight this fight. Like I can be completely clear: I can build a billion dollar business without ever touching mixing. I understand. No, no need for it. Don't so, you think though that you know, Bitcoin Twitter is is the reason that you're even thinking about privacy though at this point, or, or would you be thinking about it anyway? Do you think that really, if Bitcoin Twitter wasn't there doing this type of stuff, like having these conversations and criticizing you, you'd just be running roughshod over privacy because you could be able to maximize profit that way? No, I don't think so because we're moral and ethical people, and there's a reason why we do things, right? I mean. But look at our articles, like look at our article put out by Gigi about Bitcoin privacy. I think it's from 2019 or 2020. It's very early. Uh, I mean, we started the company in 2019. So like late, like Swan launched in March of 2020. I'm pretty sure within our first year, we can go look up the date on this article that we had a, written an article on privacy. It has nothing to do with Bitcoin Twitter. It's because we're Bitcoiners. 
I don't think people understand what mean what being a Bitcoiner is. And that's why we're here to educate people. You know, we don't think being a Bitcoiner means buying a bunch of Bitcoin. We think it means defending freedom. We think it means, you know, having those conversations with our clients and explaining to them this not a black and white world. Privacy is important and the government doesn't want you to have it. Both are true, right? Yep. So like how do we how do we walk that line as Americans, as people in a society which is trying to, you know, trying to enforce these draconian measures and trying to basically turn us into surveillance state. We, we were fighting that fight because we're Bitcoiners. Like we started this company. If you're talking about profit, you know, we could have started another shipcoin casino. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're the reason why we didn't do that. Okay. Coinbase makes a lot more money than us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so no, and I reason. get it. I get it. And, and I appreciate Yeah. I definitely like the content, you know, and I like the, the, the attitude and the, the, the marketing around, you know, principles and, you know, there's more to Bitcoin than just being money. It's about being freedom money and you can't have freedom money without some opportunity to make it private and some opportunity to, um, to go beyond just what, you know, maybe is acceptable to the government. Um, but do you think that there's any way to actually win this if you are simultaneously running a business that needs to stay on the right side of things? Like, do you see any possibility that this doesn't end badly for mixing or for any other ways to make Bitcoin private? Is, is privacy on Bitcoin just doomed in your opinion? I don't think it's doomed. And the reason is like, let's go back to uh, like PGP and encryption that happened, you know, that the war over encryption uh, happened in the nineties. There was this whole thing about encryption being considered munitions and it was illegal to export strong encryption. Uh, and I was actually there. I was. Part of that, like movement, I was at going to hacker conferences. By the way, if you want to talk about history, like why do I care about this stuff? Um, I grew up in that scene. Okay, I grew up. Uh, I was at the. I don't know if you remember. There was this thing called DCSS when they started decoding DVDs uh, and basically breaking their uh, multi their regional constraints. So you mm-hmm. could you know you could play European DVD in the U.S. There was an algorithm called DCSS. There was a hacker, uh, Jan Johansson. I want to make say that his name was. I don't remember exactly. Um, he figured out how to like crack that algorithm, publish the code of it. I was at his trial. I was picketing outside of his trial. Okay. Like I, I, I've been a part of this movement for a long time, Chris. This is not Bitcoin Twitter. Okay. Um, that whole fight with DCSS and PGP, all that ended with basically, uh, the understanding that this stuff was free speech because why people put it on t-shirts, people printed books, with the PGP source code in it, and it became so painfully obvious that this wasn't a weapon, it was free speech. And you would have to kill free speech in order to classify it as a weapon because now you're talking about, you know, illegal words or I can't wear this t-shirt. Uh, and that's how the PGP battle was won. I think we're in a similar uh, state with Bitcoin. There are practical limitations. Yes, the government can say, this is bad. We don't want this. We want this reported. There are practical limitations because of the technology and because of the improvements in technology we're making, including mixing, lightning network, you know, um, third layers like like fediments and stuff like that. These are privacy preserving like a liquid network. What, there's a million different sort of like attempts at doing privacy on Bitcoin. And I think we're in like the first inning of this. I think, you know, over the next 10 years, we're going to see even more innovation in that space. And at some point it becomes so difficult to enforce and so painfully obvious that it's speech that you kind of have this problem with the government saying, okay, well, like if we put these rules and then we can't enforce them, then it's not really a rule, is it? And then at the same time, you've got this movement of, you know, you're putting Bitcoiners in government, you're, you're getting really, you know, public companies that large balance sheets, because let's, let's be honest, who runs the government? It's corporations, it's the money. 
if you got the corporations, you got the money, you got the money in your pocket, you got the politicians in your pocket, and you're not, Bitcoin is everywhere. And on top of that, the technology itself has become so good that privacy is so easy that you solve the problem. That's how we solve the problem. It has to be attacked on many, many fronts. Um, simply saying, oh, uh, they told us we can't mix, so we're going to shut down our business, like a billion dollar business, because they told us we're, and just give up on our entire mission of, you know, onboarding, you know, everybody in the US and, and worldwide to Bitcoin and let like Binance do it in the shady, <laughs> in their shady jurisdictions doing God knows what. No, we're not going to give up that fight. That's stupid. I mean, but whoever's saying this stuff, is, these are children. These are people who have never built anything in their lives. It's not I, like I haven't heard anybody done. say that. I mean, I haven't heard anybody they have, say. Wait, they told us literally. There's people on Twitter telling us to shut down our business instead of instead of allowing uh, instead of like you know uh, admitting defeat or so. And by the way, we have not admitted defeat. We continue to fight. It's not like you guys know what's happening behind the scenes. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think I think <laughs> the the the. I want to try to um, get it straight, like what the criticism is and what I th where I think yeah. it's coming from, and maybe it'll be helpful. You know, I think All that right. the the messaging you guys put out there, you know, the being sort of the ethical Bitcoiners and privacy and, and First Amendment and this kind of stuff, um, and then you come out and say, well, this is what's happening with our partners. Uh, you can no longer do X, Y, Z with mixing and stuff like that. People automatically connect. Okay, it's all Swan, and Swan is behind all of this. But then on top of that, it's about why stick with these custodial partners. There's no actual law yet. Yet there's no actual rule yet. They're just acting out of fear, right? Because they don't give a crap about privacy. Correct. All they care about is their bottom line and staying in business. And people perceive. I think, although, by the, the way, I, wanna, I do. I want to interject there because the people we've been talking to on that side have actually been very favorable to working with us and have said, like, we understand. The point of privacy, and I've been fighting actually to to keep some, you know, why some some line. What's the why? incentive they're for also, them? Because they're Chris. Not everybody's motivated by money alone. You know, do you have children? I have children. Like I'm motivated to have my children live in a money in a makes world. the world go around, right? You're running a business, and you 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 have a duty to maximize profit for Dude, your business. Why do I? Why am I running a Bitcoin business? I can run any business I want. I had a company called Reverb, okay? okay. It got sold by, to Etsy. It's I mean, not a personal that, thing, that, though. Anybody who's running a business is incentivized to maximize the profit for their business, as long as it's a for-profit business. So whether it's your business or a custodian or an exchange or whoever, a, a wallet manufacturer, I mean, whoever, right? So what's the incentive to, to, for, to, to give up profit potentially uh, if it means more privacy for end users? I think if you want to boil it down to just money, I mean, you could still do that. And you could say that these people understand that there's a future in which Bitcoin is a dominant asset on the planet and they want a piece of that. I mean, if you want to really boil it down to capital and capitalist incentives, uh, I don't think it's black and white. I'm not in this business personally because of just money. I have lots of ways to make money. In fact, I could have retired after Reaver. I basically did retire and accidentally fell into Bitcoin. <laughs> and so here I am, right? Like, why am I doing this? And, you know, do I just love money so I have enough. I'm fine. Um, okay. You know, like most, most of the people who work here have enough money. They don't need to work. So <laughs> like you can't boil this stuff down to these black. This is very fabulous. But it like, is about incentives, right? Just like Bitcoin's about yeah. incentives and game theory. And yes, it's about, you know, what are the incentives for somebody who's running a business? It's not a nonprofit business you're running, right? Like you've got no. a business, you got, sure. you got investors, probably well, you got, you know, the whole, whole thing going on. And you have a duty to do to do the right thing. So, and I get there's other. I've talked to many founders in Bitcoin who say the same thing. But um, 
I think and going I think back to trying, it's true. <laughs> yeah, no, I believe it. I mean, it's not, I'm not, it's not a personal thing. Like I'm not trying to say you're, you, you wouldn't do that. I'm saying from the, 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 the critics point of view, and also from the point of view of somebody who's passionate about privacy and almost sees this stuff as like our last stand, you know, against the government in this regard, you know, because this FinCEN stuff is real, like this is happening and, um, mixing like with, you know, samurai wasabi, et cetera, is all we've got right now. Like we don't have a lot of other tools at our disposal to, to achieve a reasonable amount of privacy and wasabi is arguably that you get any. Um, so, um, I, I think that that's where it's coming from. And, and so like, I get it, like your business is going to, like you said before, your business is going to do fine no matter what happens. It would suck if privacy dies along the way, but it's not going to impact, <laughs> it's not going to impact your business. <laughs> I guess the question for you, based on what you just said, do you consider Bitcoin to be a weaker asset without the opportunity for it to be private? Or do you think that it's just as strong with full surveillance sort of in full effect? That's a, that's a good question. It's a deep, it's a deep question. Um, I mean, one of the interesting things is, you know, privacy from what is, is, is a good question, right? Because a lot of privacy times from the government. Privacy. Okay. Privacy from the government. Okay. So let's talk about privacy from the government. If tomorrow a SWAT team shows up at your house, because here you are on a podcast with me, they know who you are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Samurai guys are VC funded guys, by the way, they know who they are. They're going to show up at their house with a SWAT team and they're going to say, you know, shut this thing down. Okay. The government can do that because they have a monopoly on violence. Anytime your privacy is, is gone. Okay. There is no privacy from that standpoint. They want to break your privacy. They will. They'll do it with a $5 rent to do it with some guns that put you in jail to threaten your family. They can do whatever they want. Okay. So I think the privacy from government, we can hope and fight for a minimum level, like encryption, right? For example, we have NASA, right? We're working on this decentralized communication network based on encryption, strong encryption, which used to be illegal, which we broke that. We broke that because of a movement, the social movement, right? Created a decentralized network for communication that is private from government. Is it really private from government? I have no idea. Like how far along is NSA relative to this encryption? Have they already broken it? Are they already backdoors? I, I don't know these things, okay? I'm assuming that it's already broken. I'm assuming that most privacy is broken by default or somewhere they were inserted themselves. These people know how to do this stuff. That's their job. Okay? They're not stupid and they have trillions of dollars of unlimited money to do it with. So that mm. battle, in my opinion, is lost. What is not lost is some level that of portability and plausible deniability. And I lost my keys in a boating accident and all this kind of stuff that allows for social movements where people, you know, I've always said this, it's all about brain drain. Soviet Union collapsed, all the smart people left. All the smart people left. Do you have the means and the money? You got brain drain. All the stuff is alcoholics and crazy people. You know, that's what happened in 1989 when I left. It's the same thing here. If you are, if you have that optionality and Bitcoin, I have my Bitcoin right now. Okay. I've got my, uh, uh, seed in my head. I lost my keys. They're gone. I'm going to walk out of this country. I'm going to get, go somewhere else and I will have my wealth. I don't, I didn't need to mix that Bitcoin to, to achieve that outcome. Okay. I did not need to mix it. I just needed to have my seed and I needed to have plausible deniability to be able to walk out. That is enough of pressure. That is the pressure we need to keep the society in order because I don't want to leave America. I, I don't think most people want to leave. I mean, I think this is the, one of the last bastions of, of sort of freedom, uh, although it's arguable how much freedom we have left. I want to get it fixed. I'd rather fix it. 
So the way we fix it is with this pressure, social pressure. It's not about privacy. Somebody come come to your door and get your privacy destroyed. Easy. Very easy. I think, I think that's my take on it. You're thinking about it a little more extreme than I think that, that I am in that, you know, people that are mixing, they're withdrawing from SWAN and mixing. Um, Most people lost their privacy. They put their KYC into a, a bank. I mean, that's. They don't have their privacy to begin with. The, the, the privacy you get from mixing is not from the government. It is from merchants where you spend it in the future. That's the privacy we're looking for with mixing. Like if you think you're hiding from the government after buying from a KYC exchange, no. <laughs> what are you no, talking about? I, what, I'm not <laughs> trying to say hide your Bitcoin, hide the fact that you, you know, I'm, I'm not saying there's any crimes being committed. I'm not saying that there's anybody not paying taxes. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying that the government is like, if you have privacy from the government, you have privacy from everyone. It sounds like what you're saying is the expectation should be you have privacy from everyone except the government, which I hear what you're saying in a practical yeah, manner, but it doesn't a, make sense quite from a, you know, a, a privacy standpoint, right? Because you're not, you're not private. So if you withdraw from SWAN and you mix, I don't want the government to see that I, I spent my Bitcoin on XYZ. I don't want them to see that. I, yeah, sure. Yeah. They know I bought it. Which when I did KYC, like that happened, you know, I link that up, I withdraw, I mix, and I go and buy, you know, um, some embarrassing thing that I don't want the government to know about. Why is the government have to oh, know I everything okay. that I buy? No, okay, that's, so, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that, like breaking that transaction. But my point is, if the government really wanted to know and they showed up at your house with a gun and say, did you buy this car with Bitcoin? Or, you know, did you buy a house in Montana? Uh, you know, that's an extreme case, right. But, it you know, in 99% case, my point of, is it's breaking up, yes. Yes, but the mass surveillance that's going on, like with the stuff that that Snowden, you know, revealed. Uh, yeah, that's not people showing up yeah. with guns. You never hear about them. They're yeah. they're surveilling you quietly, and that's what they're doing right. with with crypto, right? So we have a right. Yeah. I don't think it's like illegal or wrong to say I want to be private from the government. The government has no right no, to I see what I'm doing day to day. But it sounds like you're. So do do you understand? Do you believe that that we should have that right? Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I I believe in the right. I'm not arguing that at all. I believe we should use every technology to my point, like PGP and strong encryption with our messages, end-to-end encryption in our messages, end-to-end encryption in our, you know, in our, um, you know, in our financial system if we can, right? So if we have, and I put that in quotes because what Bitcoin has basically mixing or put it into lightning or put on liquid or do something to create that second layer of, of anonymity because it's not, you know, it's a public ledger. So you have to have something else on top of that public ledger that creates that second level of anonymity. I absolutely believe in that. Like, I, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, I'm saying, and I agree with you, 99.9% of the time, nobody's at your house and gone. They hopefully it doesn't get to that point because that means we've definitely lost the battle. And like, you know, now we're living in a very unpleasant society. <laughs> so uh, I agree. We should try to have, you know, uh, financial privacy. They shouldn't be able to trace, trace what we spend it on. Like, that's just basic stuff. Like nobody's monitoring what I do with my cash. Um, although most people use Visa or Apple Pay, in which case everything is monitored, right? Um, so, so yeah, what, I agree with it. So what's what's the outcome? I mean, what is Swan? Um, <laughs> what is Swan? What actions will Swan take now um, with the pending guidance, with the custodians doing saying what they're saying, doing what they're doing? Like what? Like I saw Corey uh, reference a potential lawsuit. Um, what? is Swan going to do to protect the privacy of Bitcoiners? So first of all, I mean, I kind of outlined the stuff in, our, in, our, in the post that I made, but essentially one of the things is optionality, right? So part of the reason why they can do these things is because there's not a lot of companies 
Like there's not a lot of financial institutions serving the space. Okay. So one of those things, first of all, what are we doing? We're building our own trust company. That's one thing. So that trust company will be able to make its own decisions and its own risk gradient. I'm not saying we're going to be immune for making these, you know, uh, like at that point, it will be the government, you know, saying you have to do X or Y or Z, but until they have, they've said it, from my perspective, we're not going to enforce a, a rule that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. So that's one thing. Two is adding additional partners. Again, that's a negotiating thing. So we can say, well, if you guys won't serve us, then these guys will. And that's what we've been doing for the last two years. We've been doing this. Um, we've added two and now third trust company going live. Like I said, I think we're going to be live in two weeks or so um, with, with Bact. And that's our third partner there, right? So now we have a number of different partners. Now our fourth one will be our own. So that is the strategy. The strategy always has been uh, to diversify our ability to withstand attacks like this, whether it's at the banking layer, the trust company layer, like you name it. Uh, the banking layer, frankly, is the biggest problem because there's not that many banks that serve the industry. So that's another thing. Like, are we going to start our own bank? I mean, eventually, yes, we're going to get big enough. We'll do it. We're not there yet. Okay. It, it's, it's, uh, it's not something you can expect out of a four-year-old company. Give us a few more years. We'll be there. You know, I mean, those are the types of things that we can do. So it's, it's starting your own institutions, uh, jurisdictional arbitrage, okay, serving other countries. Ultimately, if the U S doesn't want to do this kind of stuff, we'll do it elsewhere. But, um, you know, this is the center of the financial universe. Like whatever the U.S. says, it ends up being law or it ends up being enforced as pseudo law somewhere else because of the FATF and, you know, these sort of non-elected, you know, multi, what do you call them, multinational type of organizations that essentially enforce U.S. law in other countries. So like, those are the things we're doing. I mean, what more can we do? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, like creating more partners, which we've already done ahead of this. We started that effort more, more than a year ago and building our own trust company, which we announced earlier this year as well. Like we're doing the things we, we can do. And then on top of that, of course, being big enough, getting big enough so we can actually do the lobbying effort. I mean, lobbying right now, 99% of it's garbage. It's blockchain garbage. Associations that are lobbying for NFTs and crypto, whatever that means. I know this is a crypto podcast, but I'm sorry. You know, I'm not going to be lobbying for Dogecoin in the same breath as I'm lobbying for Bitcoin. Not going to be lobbying for unregistered securities uh, started by VCs and insider pumps. No. So we're going to be up there talking about Bitcoin. You don't have to apologize for that. I know you don't um, <laughs> know a whole lot about me, but I'm on the same page as you. The difference between me and you is that I acknowledge that this stuff exists, you know, whereas a lot of Bitcoiners just don't even want to acknowledge that crypto. Oh, I acknowledge there. it. I just don't want to defend it. That's all. The problem on my mission. But to to the point you were just making, you know, I'm constantly calling out blockchain association and DeFi education fund and all these um these VC funded yeah. lobbying um entities for the same reason I was just mentioning to you. Because they're all funded and backed by these corporations that are, you know, have shareholders, have VCs, you know, some of them are public even. Um, and they're, they, none of them have the real financial incentive to protect privacy or to stand up for me. You know, they'll stand up, they'll mm -hmm. say we're standing up for, for crypto users or this or that. But at the end of the day, they don't give a shit. You know, it's like they're just out, out to maximize their profit. So it's, it's, it's tricky to look at any for-profit company and think that they're going to, um, they're going to do anything that's going to jeopardize their future as a company, you know? So that's where it gets hard. Bitcoin companies are held to this standard that's so high, right? That's so, you know, up here 
in a way that it's almost unrealistic. I think, um, Harry, we're supposed to be cypherpunks and businessmen at the same time, which is a very fine line to walk. Right. Uh, the reality is that there are companies, you know, founded by people who just care about profit and there are companies that are funded, founded by people who are just so hardcore cypherpunk that they'll shut down their business if something like this happens to them. I mean, kudos, like amazing. You want to do that? Like, that's fine. But in my opinion, that's giving up the fight. I think the bigger fight to be had, and we've talked about this for years, like this is Corey's whole thesis. It's called the race to avoid the war, avoid the war. Okay. We have some Bitcoiners who think they're already at war. Maybe true. Like, who knows? Are we at war or are we still in the race? Like in our opinion, we're still in the race, which means that there's still a, a time or still a timeline in which America embraces Bitcoin and which Bitcoin becomes the dominant, you know, method of, of transactions in which privacy is preserved. And, you know, we had cash for some time. First we had gold, then we had like paper cash. And when we had paper cash, we had pretty reasonable privacy, right? I, I don't have to disclose my identity when I spend my paper cash and the, and the merchant doesn't know how much paper cash I have. So there was a time where this country operated sort of quote unquote, just fine from a financial standpoint. The, you know, what I call like the racers, I would say the racers and the warriors, right? I would say that we're, we're the racers. We're running really, really hard. So that we get back to that society, which had privacy by default in our cash. We reject the concept that every transaction should be surveilled by default. We reject the concept that mixing is somehow wrong or should be assumed to be suspicious. This stuff is not backed by data or science or anything. It's backed by entrenched interests, really, that want to keep the traditional financial system alive. That's what it is. It's a, it's a, you know, it's the big banks probably, you know, obviously the, the government's got its own, um, objectives, but fundamentally it's all money. Like to your point, it's all, it's all capitalist incentives. Like at the end of the day, everybody in Congress is inside trading. Like that's what they're there for. So we need to make that profitable for them. We need to make these, you know, the Bitcoin economy profitable for them. We need to grease the engine of the government with money because that's how it works. It works with money. Yeah. And then we know we have a government run by Bitcoiners. Uh, and hopefully these people are slightly more moral and slightly more ethical than the people that are there now, because those people are, are run to the core and everybody knows that they know that themselves they can't look in the mirror uh, but they like money so much so yeah yeah oh. <laughs> i think that's a that's a great uh dream to have that we eventually get to that point you know i think that the the, the more realistic outcome though is between now and then you know bitcoin continues to grow in adoption and and um etc we have another 911 or something like that that is uh, that is has crypto or Bitcoin involved, even not Bitcoin, it's just say crypto, right? Some Monero, yeah. whatever right. is involved. Right. And this is why I don't like the baby with the bathwater situation, right? Because you know, Monero will be involved and Bitcoin will, will end up eating there. Of course. So then yeah. you're going to get the memo. Guess what? You got to shut down anybody that does any privacy. We got to enhance KYC. We got to do all this stuff yeah. that you don't like, you know, that you know is destroying privacy, but you have to do it if you want to keep your business. So you're going to do it. You're going to, you know, we're, we're all going to be sunk uh, from a privacy point of view, not through any fault of yours, because we're fighting the government's wars, basically. We're the proxy, you know, we're the, we're the fuel for the war. Um, but uh, I think that's the more realistic outcome. So I guess, you know, I, I'd be really interested. I'll, I'll be following along to see what you guys do, how you want to do it, or, you know, um, where this all goes in the next few weeks and months. You, you're spinning up your own trust company. Uh, which it sounds like I'm, I'm assuming based on what you said that you're not going to be blocking the mixing transactions until um, there's actual hard set guidance 
Is that right? Yeah. I mean, that's a plan. We don't know when this guidance is going to come through or if it will come through. But yeah, the plan is okay. we make our own decisions on policy there. So yeah, I mean, we're going to try to do whatever we can to continue to preserve, you know, people's privacy. Like it's, again, to me, it's not just about money because I have a family and I want my kids to live in a free society. And frankly, I think the best thing we can do is create optionality, like I was saying earlier. And if, if that means that, you know, we don't operate in the U.S. anymore and, you know, we have to move to El Salvador or whatever, like at some point the country gets bad enough, that's what's going to happen. And the USA will experience brain drain like we've never experienced it before. You know, uh, they set themselves up for failure. That's what's going to happen. Um, but we don't want that. Like, I don't, I don't want that. I want the society to prosper. So um, we're going to do everything in our power, but that power is somewhat limited. I mean, it is ultimately government. And so it always comes back to that. Like, to your point, if they come to us and tell us, we have to shut this down. We have to shut down the business. You know, we, we have an obligation, you know, to either to do that. Either we follow the law or we can get out of the country, you know, and that's, that's going to be a difficult decision to make. And we're going to do that um, when the time comes, if the time comes. But I would rather try to bend the law, you know, not bend in the sense of breaking it, but like massage the existing laws and work with the regulators and all that to make them more sane because there was nothing wrong with cash. It was fortunately just fine. Um, we, we overdid it with the, with the craziness of 9-11 and everything else. And post that, we passed a bunch of really bad laws. They were supposed to expire. They got replaced with worse laws. So we're going to work on that. I mean, that's, that's the only answer. Right on. Yeah, I think, um, like I was saying before, you guys are being held to a super high standard by privacy advocates and by, you know, Bitcoin, Twitter dummies like me. Uh because of the stuff that you say like this, because of the the ethics that you guys yeah. push out, because of the content you push out, um, you're held to a much higher standard than Binance or Coinbase or any of these other players sure. in the game, even more than like a BitGo or any of these guys, um, because you're putting that out there. So it's going to hurt a lot more if you ultimately have to just bring the hammer down, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. It's, no, we we recognize that like this is yeah, this is the heart and soul of the company. Like when I said earlier, the Bitcoin Twitter isn't real life. I, I that was not to dismiss Bitcoin Twitter. I mean, I think Bitcoin Twitter is the heart and soul of Bitcoin, and there's a lot of great people and great great thinkers. And you know, the reasons why we do the things we do is because we're you know deep in that ethos. But we also recognize that the, this community has placed faith on us to be you know a good actor and to grow grow the space and create more Bitcoiners with the right the same ethos, right and putting out that education about privacy and self-custody and all the things that we believe are true as Bitcoiners is part of that. It's like, we, we want to maintain that relationship. Uh, we don't want to be some, we don't want to be Coinbase. I mean, you know, we don't want to be Binance. Like we don't want to just onboard people and make lots of money and completely lose our morals in the process. So I do think that's a difference. I mean, we, we've always, like since Corey and I started this company and, you know, and Brady and we, we brought people in that think like us, right? people who believe in the same things here that are here for moral reasons. And yeah, it's a company. It's not a nonprofit. By the way, people in nonprofits make tons of money, right? Just because it's nonprofit doesn't mean people don't make money. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I would probably say most of more nonprofits waste their money than, than, than you know, for-profit companies because, you know, we, we are trying to generate a profit, so we have to operate a profit. But anyway, that, that aside, like, you know, we, we surrounded ourselves with these people. We want to maintain trust of the community. We want to continue to uh, do the right things. Um, we just, you know, we're adults. Like there is a great gradient of what is possible and not possible in a country that's trying to very rapidly please all, all these vectors, not just from a legal standpoint, but also just 
from like, you know, this like uh, what they call Operation Choke Point, whether it's real or not. I mean, it's real because of the risk, you know, like these banks are shutting down crypto companies, not because somebody told them to, it's because they see the risk in it, because they saw the ecosystem blow up. So these are things we're going to have to fight and change narratives on people to, you know, for, for uh, the space to flourish. So it's not going to be an easy battle. We're going to be doing that while staying true to our, you know, to our Bitcoin ethos. And that's, um, that's not easy. Not at all. No, it's not. Um, so Jan wrote a really excellent, a long tweet, an in-depth tweet on this topic where he covers a lot of the, the background and uh, the stuff going on. I'll link to it in the notes and you can follow Jan at SKWP, at SKWP on Twitter. He's a great follow. And uh, hey, I want to thank you for, for chatting with me. It was a good chat. And I think um, it answered a lot of questions for me. Uh, I'm still... I'm still I'm going to be watching to see what Swan how Swan wants to back up the words with actions. You know, I think that that's going to be really critical um moving forward and I hope you you know I think again one of the one of the reasons people one of the reasons backlash is so fierce sometimes I think is because Swan is one of the few players in this space that does put the content out there that does put yeah. forth the values. So um I would, if I were you, I would just use that as fuel to, to, to keep pushing forward, you know, and, uh, and it's not going to go away. You know, it's only going to get worse as, as the, as FinCEN and these other players try to encroach on yeah. our rights. So, so, um, Absolutely. but yeah, anything in wrapping up here? Um, no, it was a great chat and thank you for, uh, for hanging out and giving me some good questions to think about. Appreciate that. And like, you know, we'll, we'll try to do our best and that's, that's all we can do. Awesome. Thanks, Jan.